Hi, I'm Madeline Peterson, and if you're a filmmaker or screenwriter, I have a festival that you should definitely submit to. It's called First Frame International Film Festival. The festival is in its inaugural year, and their mission is to create the bridge to opportunity from your first frame. This industry is about who you know, and because of that, a good amount of talented filmmakers and screenwriters go undiscovered. We want to share our resources and connections to undiscovered talent so that they have a chance to be seen and succeed. We are on Film Freeway and Festome. You can submit those projects there. And you can follow us on Facebook at First Frame IFF. And if you want a promo code, my email is madelinefirstframe at gmail.com. Once again, the festival is First Frame International Film Festival. And if you want a promo code, my email is madelinefirstframe at gmail.com. Thank you. Okay, we're back with Alicia. And it's dedication time. So what would you like to dedicate this episode to? I will dedicate this episode to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. I like that. Yeah. Is she? Does she like movies as like much as you do? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually my mom's case because if I'm saying I'm making a movie, she's like, is it something I can watch? No. No. That's not. <sighs> so, Okay. Let's dedicate to mom's. Okay, we're back with Alicia, and how do you say your last name again? Shenrice. Shenrice, Shenrice, I love it. All right. Have you met another Shenrice? I have not. <laughs> uh, you just filmed doing some couple projects for filming, uh, where you were a director, right? Yes. yes. Um, did you write them as well? I did. Okay, all right. So you did kind of what I did for mine. I wrote and directed it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to, we're going to just talk about those projects, how much we can, because you're still in production, if I understand, right? Yes, okay. we're in post-production. You're in post-production, so you already yeah. did the principal photography. Yep. All right. Yes. Um, and no reshoots? No. Everything good? Everything's all right. <laughs> okay, because I know you, uh, well, I know, I kind of follow you, I know you did a blooper reel. We did. So sometimes if you make a blooper reel, that means you have to go back and do some reshoots, but that's not the case for you. No. Luckily, it was just fun moments between shots. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. I lo- that's what I encourage on my film sets, too. If we're not going to have fun, then what's the point? We're making a movie. Obviously, we want some time where it's a little bit, you know, we have to work, but you shouldn't be enjoying what you're doing, no matter if it's the weather is not agreeing with us or the camera's not working, everything. Yes, exactly. So... It's two projects, to, or do, are they two together, or it's two separate projects, two separate ones. So they're yes. not they're not linked together. It's just no, you're the only link to them. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Yes. And can we just have the titles? Yes. Uh, the first one is called the Labyrinth System, and the second one is called Saccharin. Yeah, I, I think isn't the Labyrinth System the first one, right? The first yes. one you did. Yes. Okay, and the, these are both short films. Yes. Okay, so they're going to be run like a little bit more than 10 minutes or so? Saccharin is almost a micro short, I think. It's um, it's going to be under five minutes. Okay. I had a time limit for it. It's, yeah, for an application, I needed a film under five minutes, and I definitely did not have one. So <laughs> I had to make a little um, 
a little short one. So saccharine is for some other, um, like a project, they, a requirement that you had to do it, keep it under five minutes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, that's tough, man. Yes. It's tough because you film such good stuff and you're like, it has to go. Exactly. That's yes. the hardest thing to do is like, God, that's good stuff. I, I, it's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which I usually find the problem with a lot of when I critique movies on my YouTube, Kyle Nick on film will be critique movies. And mm-hmm. if something doesn't really feel very well, but it's well acted, I can understand the editor's problem. Like, I really, this is good acting. I don't know why I can't cut it. But that is a, that's one of the decisions you have to make when you're editing too is this is good stuff, but you got to let it go. Yeah. Yes. It can be very hard sometimes to cut some of your favorite shots, but pacing especially sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and cut them right yeah um can you give a little bit of the synopsis for either one or we gonna we can't go there yet yes i can um saccharin's a little bit harder to explain it's very visual so i may not explain that one because it'll be very confusing and long um well i (laughs) since i know a little bit of that we could just say what is i don't think anybody really knows before they start pause what is saccharin what um, is is it like a fragrance right the w- word yeah um it's it means sweet yeah okay yes yes okay so what's the synopsis i like it the synopsis on saccharin yeah um so it's it's basically set in this very bougie garden party Um, and it cuts between the party and a woman inside baking cupcakes. Yeah. And then she, she finishes the cupcakes and brings them outside. And you kind of throughout the film, like things, you notice little things that are just off, um, as it progresses. And then at the very end, you figure out that all of the cupcakes are poisoned. But there's there's a there's a sentence of since it's saccharine there's a sense of this is kind of sweetness to it there's a yes. wholesome to this yes it's very sunny outside it's very colorful everything just looks very nice it's so almost you like get uh, those dark undertones yeah because you, how you I think how you shot this and I was, um, it looks very much like a wholesome at home advertising commercial You're yes like, hello have some cupcakes and this, exactly how they did almost like the fake advertising the Truman Show. Yes, it's all very much about like keeping up fake happy appearances, even when things are bad. Yeah, yeah, that's what, well, like uh, David Lynch did with uh, Blue Velvet, yes. where he presents this very wholesome. You know, the fire trucks drive away, the firemen's waving this wholesome persona of suburbia, where underneath is very disturbing and very dark undertones that are eventually just going to pop out, almost like insects. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I think that it's very hard to, uh, which I, my, my favorite thing to finding a story, because I actually read the, I got a chance to read your nice script, is the contrast. Because that's the first thing I look at is what is the contrast? And I was like, Saccharin, okay, are we going to keep maintain this? Or there's something we're playing with it. And I think you and I are kind of the same ballpark is what is the contrast that we're going to present this wholesome thing that maybe that is not as reality as it is yes. to hold, right? Yeah. Is this the same kind of thing that you did with the labyrinth system, the kind of the contrast thing? No, the labyrinth system is definitely more traditional, like heavy drama. Um, It's very dreary and gloomy, and (laughs) it's a very different mood. It's also a 
significantly darker storyline. So we kind of wanted to keep everything. Um, kind of a little in, foreboding. Yes, a little exactly. A little bit dark and foreboding. And even when things are going well and, you know, it's just safe, we're still kind of. Yes. Things are going to go bad. Yeah. Is that going to be longer than five minutes? Yes. Labyrinth system comes in, I believe, um, around 16 minutes long. Well, that's nice. Yeah. It's a decent length. Yes. Yeah. I think 16, you can at least hold some. Le- you don't have to cut so drastically, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you can at least hold a little bit of it. Um, yeah. So th- these are the two ones. Um, both of these you wrote. Yes. I did write them. Um, are you, are you more feel comfortable? And then you were, when you wrote them, did you know you're going to direct them as well or? Yes. Um, Labyrinth System, I wrote with another person. I wrote them with Dana Gilbertson and that was a very interesting experience because I've never co-written a script before. With Dan, Dan, well, or co-written a script, but just with Dana? anyone. With anyone. Okay. With anyone. Yeah. I met Dana on a film set. So she was, yes. her and I, uh, we met on, on Nathan Block's film. Okay. So, yeah, you got to get her on our show. <laughs> I've been asking her for many times to come on my show. So you guys had this this concept, or did you pitch it to her? Or I pitched it to her. Um, we had both done the writing contest, um, the script madness that someone in the cities was doing. Um, and that's so, a script contest, right? You submit, yes. a, you submit a script. Okay. It, it's like a each week you would get a prompt and you had to write a script. Um, and it would weed out. So I think it was like five weeks long Okay, that they would pick top eight for each week and then the top four and then a winner at the end. And that's something I, I, I really have a disdain for writing contests because, you know, it's almost like a competition, but if something I've, usually when I, I never really submitted to a script contest cause I like, I, I don't. I don't trust it. It's like, even though I, like, what is compared to be really fantastic to something I did? Yes. I did, but it's, it's something that's almost like a necessary evil to get recognized and to move ahead. But yes. um, how, with your labyrinth system and uh, it's going to be 16 minutes, how many pages of script is that? Is that like 10? It was actually around 15 pages of script. It wow. very, it fit very well into the page per minute guidelines <laughs> i was gonna say right yeah we also yeah. unexpectedly each scene was on the page number that it was and that was not on purpose but somehow it worked out perfectly <laughs> that's good right how'd you guys work did you guys like um she submitted dialogue dana or you guys just talk on the phone or text or yes yeah, so we did a lot of zoom calls um brainstorming plot lines and trying to come up with a good outline because there's so much happening in the film that there's multiple story threads woven together. So it took a lot of brainstorming. And I think we spent about six months doing the outline and getting the whole story together. And then for the writing portion, I would write and send her snippets of what I had written to get her feedback on it and to see if she had any other ideas of whether things should be reworded or if yeah. it was too verbose or anything. So you guys did an outline first? Yes. Okay. Yes. We had it all like very uh, detailed and very planned out before we started writing. Did you guys both have an agreement on some kind of ending that you wanted to go with? Our ending 
was a lot of work. We did have an ending that we had wanted, and after we wrote the script, we realized that the ending didn't fit the script very well, and that it was kind of, it with the storyline that we had, the ending felt underwhelming. So I think we yeah. wrote four or five different endings until we found an ending that felt right with the rest of the script. I that's one of my things I usually like it's a really fantastic ending to something or yes. it just makes sense i think one of the like david mammoth's endings makes sense even though his stories can be underwhelming but the ending is all perfect and i think endings are really hard to do and especially if you like yeah. can have an idea like well do i want to write and see where it goes or do i have an ending in mind and see how i get there yes and i think that's a writer's always problem right <laughs> Yes, I think because it's the last thing that the audience is left with, endings are very important. Yeah, yeah, especially if you want to know where you're going to be, if it wants to be a shock, you want to be a calm, you want to be a resolution. Exactly. Or, you know, you want to just, you know, be like Kirk Vonnegut and just say endings are just when a good time to stop. Doesn't mean the story stopped, but I stopped. Yes. No, my favorite author is probably Stephen King, who is notorious for his bad endings. <laughs> so I yeah, I definitely had that in mind, which is why we did so many drafts of it. Yeah, so are you are you kind of a person that likes to write anytime during the day or you're like me like to write dead of night or something like that or I don't think I have a specific time. Okay. I tend to be really busy, so I do write in evenings more. Um but I mostly will just write when I have the space of time or when I am feeling motivated to write something. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it in the morning, man. I have to do it. I almost have to experience the entire day. Mm -hmm. And then deflate and cold, and then I could shut down the world. So, and then I write night. I like to do night stuff. I'm very, um, if I think if you see my comic books or everything, you could just obviously tell that it's been written after 10 p.m. I do get bursts of energy sometimes around like 10 p.m. that I do like uh, big portions of writing things. I know my friends who are writers because I'll get like messages at like midnight. Yes. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Yes. I see that you're up to what you're writing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know I, I'm, 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 I've been, it's been always encouraged to do outlines, and I'm somebody that kind of skips out at it. But I think you're kind of it's, – it's a discipline that's necessary, especially if you're working with somebody else, right, outlines? Yes. It was really important because we were working together, and we weren't – we were working remotely, so we weren't actively together while writing – it was actually the first film that I've done an outline for. I'm not usually an outline person. Yeah. I I'm think, not either. No. I think I usually have an outline in my head before I start writing, but this was the first time that I actually worked out a really detailed outline before starting the writing. Um, with the writing, are you, do you consider yourself more of a writer than director or a director who writes, or how would you kind of categorize yourself? I started out as a writer, but I think I would put them on the same level. Um, <laughs> I've yeah. Every film I've directed, I've written. I've written f films for other people or done drafts of things for other people, but I would still consider myself a director more than I would consider myself a writer, even yeah. though I write more frequently than I direct. 
Um, my experience was I used to be a football referee for 20 years before I did anything in the movie industry. And with when I referee football, I would have to recruit a crew. I would find the locations. I would actually have contact with the athletic director and the games and everything. And I'd be managing the games and making charge of everybody do their jobs and know their responsibilities, know their jurisdiction, their mechanics, and all that stuff. And it's funny how that translates very well into directing a movie where you have to recruit your crew, you have to look at where the location is in contact with the person in charge of location and everything, and make sure everybody can show off their talents and everything. So um, when I directed my first movie last month, it was like, this is almost like me refing football. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm responsible at making sure everybody is safe and comfortable and you can show off their talents like a football player on the field. And Yes, yes. <laughs> And make sure everybody is content, right? And I think I got a lot of blowback because, you know, when you ref football, you you almost have to maintain a constant heart rate. You can't, you gotta, I'll call them this. Yes. Where everybody, yes. like 40,000 people, including coaches and players, are amped up and jazz and it's just pounding energy and excitement that you have to maintain a certain level of, okay, that's fine. Yes. Which I did in the movie. When everybody's yes. like, this is great. Okay, next. And they're like, what? Yeah, we're fine. We'll go, and I usually, well, it's been 20, I've did it for 20 years. It's hard to turn off for, Yes. <laughs> which I understand now where people are like, what did I do wrong? Oh, no, nothing. We're just time management. You know, we got to yes. gotta go on. Yeah. I definitely tried to never get negative on my set. I, yes, it's really important to me to keep the set lighthearted and make sure everyone is comfortable and having a good time. And yeah. even if things are going wrong or <laughs> it's like not turning out how I want, I do my best to never get frustrated or uh, vis- visibly get frustrated. That's why I play chess all the time. It's I not, do it, love chess. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, it's constantly. Are you? It's the same thing I think, and I encourage everybody if they're, especially if you're like it, you know, you know, I could play a quick game, but it's you have to constantly think three moves ahead. Yes, you do. And that applies a lot to film directors, like, yes, because you're like, okay, that's a good take. Okay, the next problem, crisis, whatever I have to manage, here we go, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like this chess. Even though it looks like you're winning, how am I going? How am I losing? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So how long have you been playing chess? I have been playing chess since I was about four years old. Really? Who yes. taught you? My mom taught me. She, we used to. We've always played. We still play when I'm at home. Pretty frequently. All right. When am I coming over? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> when I used to do, I did Comic Cons and I had a, my, another Conrad Tibbs and he's another chess advocate. We usually, if there was a break and nobody came to my table, I'd go over him and there was a little chess set on his, b- b- below his table and we would. Fun. Cut quick game. Yeah. Very fun. Are you a Queen's Gamut runner? No. You don't do Queen's Gamut? Uh, not really. I'm definitely... I have a bad habit of being a very impulsive chess player <laughs> and <laughs> not using the maneuvers that I should be using. Um, so that is something I'm actively working on in my playing is not being so impulsive. Right. I'm very offensive. Well, I think if you you and I have played enough chess, we realize you don't really win in chess. You just don't lose. Lose, <laughs> right? Because yes, exactly. there's no feeling of adulation when you win. You're like... I didn't make a mistake. Yes. It's it's very exhausting when you're playing a good game. Yeah. Yeah. I know because my wife were like, what's wrong? I just 
I just got played. Yes. What are you talking about? I just, I don't feel like I ever was in control. This person just manipulated every move to me, and I just, I feel just absolutely played. I got scammed. It's the worst when you have a really crucial move for the other person that wins them the game that you very much should have seen <laughs> and just somehow missed that they could do that. It's the it's the hardest thing to get over because in chess there's no way you can cheat. The board's open. You can yes. see every move and it's wide and and how how did I miss that? It's out there for everybody could to see. Exactly. <laughs> I have one strategy is I try to hold on to my knights as long as possible. I'll give up mm. my bishops and my pawns very easily. And I realize after playing chess for almost 30 years that people cannot maneuver how to def- combat knights easier than anything else because they move so awkward. Yes. And I think if you can hold on to your knight a little bit longer than anybody else, not give them up, there's a good chance especially if your opponent has bishops left and you have knights, there's a really good chance that you're going to come out ahead. Yes. Yeah. So, I that's good. We're going to have to play a game. That would be fun. <laughs> we just, um, I don't know if you knew the phrase. What is the phrase? Schwung schwing? I don't know the phrase. Schwung, uh, it starts with Z. It's German schwing schwing, which is, um, it's a German expression um, thing for chess, which is no matter what you do, it's going to be worse for you. That yes, very true. <laughs> and it's a wonderful feeling to know to put. It's it's not a defeat. It's just know to put that person in the position that no matter what they do, it's going to be worse for them. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the word is. I think it starts with a. It's called swing swing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Do you um, do you do like club chess club? Uh, I did up until a couple months ago. I've just been really busy lately and haven't had time to do it, yeah. but I did used to do it. When I was at college, I used extensively did chess club and I did crosswords too, just to feel like, you know, your mind's, you know, when you're in college, your mind is just going all the time with things, right? You're learning and, you know, but I realized if I did the crossword very well, I was going to have a bad chess game. Oh no. And if I did a really good chess game, I knew the crosswords were going to be struggle and it's I think that's a meant uh, your brain working yes I think because I was like isn't I'm not have I never had a good day where I did the crossword very well and chess very well it's almost like your brain is telling you I'm putting all my energy on this fair <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. with chess is that's why you like studying neuroscience I don't know if they're related but I do enjoy both um, I enjoy the strategy, I think, and figuring out problems is the overlap between those two. Yeah. It's almost like that's why I like murder mysteries. Is can I solve it before they show it? Yes. Very yeah. true. Can I figure it out before? Because they leave trinkets enough to a really good murder mystery or a psychological thriller can leave you trinkets to, mm-hmm. as you've journeyed along. Yeah. So you must like psychological thrillers and murder mysteries and all that. I do. Yes, I've, they're very fun. <laughs> Do you have a particular favorite that you can off the top of your head as the pun would be? A favorite thriller? Like murder mystery, thriller, or anything? I'm not sure if I have a favorite one. Um, I The platform was really good, and I'm not sh- sure if that qualifies as a murder mystery, but 
there is this element of trying to figure out what's happening Mm -hmm. and figure out the plot line that was really, really fun to watch. Well, I think that's why I enjoyed the movie Saw. I didn't enjoy the uh, the rest of them. I, my friend Kyle loves all of them. I don't really get into it. But that's why I like the first one, because you have this very simple, you know, how do I get here? How yes. do I get How do I get up in there? How do I get out? And everything is not really what it seems, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's also why I like Prestige, the Christopher Nolan, the magician's company, yes. which is a very psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. But also, what? It, not only that, it's like a science fiction, too. It is. There is a lot happening in that <laughs> And it movie. could be a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's what I like about movies, and especially with Prestige, is we're presenting you something that's not real, but yeah. your mind will fill in the blanks and perceive it as reality, even though we'll tell you what the trick is that you don't. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, have, you, have you heard of the Magic Castle in L.A.? The name sounds familiar, but I can't think off the top of my head exactly what it is. It's it's a fraternity for magicians. So, and the invite invite guests, you have to be invited. You can't really ask, can I be? You have to be invited, so they give you a card. And I was lucky to be invited. And it's just, you go there, you get a nice dinner. It's formal. You have to be in a suit or a dress. You really have to be, you know appear very well and you just navigate through after the house and magicians try their tricks on you interesting and it's it's really bizarre to see the the cup and ball trick yes in front of your eyes when it's like two feet in front of you and you're like watch the ball i am and you're like what <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really fun though it's yeah. very interesting i think i think anybody that likes films like magician because we're kind of being magicians as well that's true. In you fact, can trick your audience very easily in film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like, even when I know what the trick is or how you watch documentaries, how they, it's not a real person, it's a stunt person. It's so enjoyable after you realize what happened and how they did it. Yes, Yeah. exactly. So I think that's why the first filmmakers were magicians, like true. George Malay and everything. Yeah. Yes. Did you ever take film school? I did not. But I know a fair amount of film history just from self-study and my interests. Yeah. Yes. But I haven't um, taken formal classes in film. Is there a movie that you haven't seen it that you really want to? I have a couple classics that I need to watch that have been on my list for a good period of time. That's good. I might have them in my closet if you got a VCR. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately do not right now. <laughs> so you, you're not really did it formal, but you're doing it yourself, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's the benefit of me working at a video store mm-hmm. for many years because I did in my college years because I also took film history in college. But when the video store is dead on a Saturday night after midnight and you just open for another hour, you can watch whatever is on the shelf, you know, as long as it's not rated R. Or you can take them home. (laughs) 
Okay, we'll be back with more with uh, Alicia after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Nick from the St. Paul Filmcast. I want to talk to you about a book that's available to pre-order. It's from a previous guest of the show and a good friend of the show, Dennis Vogan. Dennis is an acclaimed writer for many years, releasing novelas like Thea, Flipped, and Them, and creating comic books like uh, The Brush Fire and my personal fave, The Weirdos. Here he collects blogs, posts, essays, loose change from nearly half a decade. They cover a spectrum of topics from comic books to sobriety, from outer space to his dog, pop culture, spirituality, nostalgia, the multiverse, and from joy to grief and everything in between. You'll find that Dennis Vogan is a lot of things, and for better or for worse, and he has a lot to say. Check out the book. It's called Time is a Solid State. Time is a Solid State. Available on Amazon or on his website, DennisVogan.com. Check it out today. Hi, everybody. This is Nick for the St. Paul Filmcast, and I want to talk to you about a great place here in the Twin Cities for your next social gathering event. It's the Serbian Hall in South St. Paul. The Serbian Hall in South St. Paul is now open. Built in 1924, it is a unique historic venue perfect to host your next wedding, social gathering, corporate event, or any kind of celebration. The hall has over 9,000 square feet of historic charm perfect for your event. With a ballroom upstairs and a classic bar and reception downstairs, it has the flexibility to meet all your needs. From start to finish, to help you coordinate with every detail. Book now for 2021 graduations. Spaces are filling up fast. Visit their website, www.serbianhall.com. You can also find them on Facebook. They just can't wait to work with you. Your next social gathering event, think the Serbian Hall in South St. Paul. In the not-too-distant future, Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to The Last Comic Shop. Rate, review and subscribe to our weekly comic book reviews on all the major podcasting platforms at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. All right, we're back, and on the, during the break, we're talking about a movie that had just loaded with exposition. Are you comfortable with exposition? Yes, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. It depends on how it's done. Well, if, if you're doing a movie in 10 minutes, you have to have some kind of exposition, especially if it's, yes. it's will, world building. You have to 
you know. Yes, exactly. It is necessary sometimes. That was the best thing about Star Wars is George Lucas showed it to his friends, the idea. And Brian Tapalma was like, I don't get it. You're going to have to have something in the beginning of the movie to explain it. And that's how he got the scroll in the beginning of the movie. He's like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is how we're going to, yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely about getting a balance between enough to explain the story so it's not confusing and just kind of info dumping on the audience. Yeah, don't do the massive exposition dump at the end, Harry Potter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but it's, you have to eventually, like, you know, why are we doing this? What what kind of world is this? What's the rules, you know? Yes. Yeah, can I break the rules and stuff like that? Um, but you're also kind of introducing something new, and I think that's important, especially if you're doing a story that's very, um, my friend Kyle's phrase is, it's not the story that told, it's how you tell it, because yes, we've seen this before, but what you're enticing is something new. So, Yes. Are you um, going to expand writing into novels, or you want to stick to script? I think I prefer scripts. Um, I do too. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I have considered writing a novel, but the style and the format of writing scripts is something that I'm more comfortable with. Yeah. And I think my best skill is dialogue and Hats off, man. Novels are slightly slightly different in that regard. Dialogue was tough for me, especially when I wrote my first comic book was because I submitted it to my friend who's a writer, Lucas, and he's like, This is garbage. And I'm like, <laughs> what would I do wrong? It's like are yeah. we friends? Yeah, yeah. This dialogue is... is really hard for a lot of people. Um, I'm not quite sure why I'm good at dialogue besides <laughs> talking to people. I don't know, but I have this problem. I'm going to share with you when, especially when I'm writing, when you have a natural conversation with people in the real world, do you like? No, you should say it this way. Yes, <laughs> yes, and that's it's like finding a balance between having really unrealistic dialogue and you don't want to have how people actually speak either because there's no. so much filler and yeah. ums and all of those things you don't want to have in it. And you'll, so you have to find that middle space. You'll never say goodbye on the phone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No matter what conversation, nobody will always say goodbye because it loses the drama, even though we do it in the real world, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what I miss. We don't. We can't slam the phone anymore. That's true, too. We can't. Or we can't, like, ah, use the phone as a weapon anymore. Also true. Yeah, it takes a lot of the drama out of it, having a cell phone. Um, yeah, or you, you missed it. All, all the dramas and action movies of the 80s, I'd used a payphone. Yes. That's gone, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ever use a payphone? Yes, I have. When really? I was younger. <laughs> really? Yes. I don't know. Have you found one yet? Sorry? Is there anyone around? Have you seen any payphones around? I don't see. No, I have not. No, it's been many years since I saw a payphone. That's <laughs> yeah, part of the culture we live in, because especially if you're writing, you have to consciously think of how the phone is part of the world, especially if you do current events. Yes, yeah. yes. Was that something when you wrote Saccharin? Because that's kind of present day of how you're going to navigate phone. That wasn't something with Saccharin, but for the labyrinth system, that was something that we focused on a lot is that had cell phones been accessible it would have kind of negated the whole script and it would have been an, a simple fix so we decided to 
kind of set it in an indeterminate time place. Yeah. Um, like late 90s, early 2000s. We don't explicitly say what the year is. There's kind of a mix of time period objects, but we did it before cell phones to get rid of that problem of it just being an easy fix. And especially if you're writing, um, do you do index cards? Do you, do you speak out the lines or? I will speak the lines sometimes. I, I know don't my neighbors think I'm crazy. Cards. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But I found it really does help index with cards dialogue. Does. Oh God, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Being able to hear, um, hear your characters and hear what you're writing. You can get some of those inconsistencies or be like, this doesn't sound realistic. Yeah. Is it usually when you start writing, is it an idea that starts? Do you know, can you come back to where it started or it was something that you always had in mind or how does it, how does it start? How does the whole process start for you? I usually start with a scene and I'll have an idea for a scene and I'll build a story around that scene Sometimes I do have the idea for the story and I'll fill it in. But I think frequently I start with just one scene that's like in the middle of the movie and I'll build around it. Does title come first or is that last? It's last. It is? I I always do the titles last. (laughs) Do you always try to intentionally put the title as a speaking dialogue in the movie or? No, I usually, I definitely have a penchant for metaphorical titles and um, they always tend to be a little bit unique, um, but I don't like having the title actively spoken in the film um, or even really implied in the film. So it's always some type of meta- metaphorical title that you can connect to the plot yeah. and theme of the film. I do don't like long titles. I know that's a catch. Yes. It's a tension grabber. Like, how are you going to speak that? Blah, 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 blah. I usually try to keep it at least two words or less. My my limit's three. I'll do three words. Three but words? Not more than three. <laughs> Most of mine are one. Just one word. Um, so are you going to do your, are you writing now or are you mostly concentrating on the films that you already did? I am mostly concentrating on post-production on those films right now. I am working on an outline for a film, but... It's very um, touch and go, and it's yeah. when I have time between other things to think about it. But it's not my main focus right now. Are you? Do you have? Are you? When you write, do you do multiple drafts, or are you comfortable with this the first or second or third? Or it completely depends on the script. I've had a couple films I've done that it was the first draft. I just sat down Good for and you. in two hours, like <laughs> Good for you. typed it out and. Filmed some, it. I know some people listening. They're very upset. <laughs> Yeah, so it depends. And sometimes I'll, I always, after a draft, I'll wait a week or so and like yeah. cleanse the palate and then go back and read it. Is it and weird? Because when you get into a groove, you almost mm-hmm. like, okay, it's time to stop. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes I'll rewrite things and sometimes I'll be like, no, I still like this. I'll just film this. Because <laughs> it is funny because I think a lot of people who, outsiders, will monitor your progress as a writer. Yes. And it'd be a couple of days and there's very little traction progress as their point of view. Like, well, it's been two days. You only written like two more pages. Yes. Yeah, but uh, I've been playing chess. I got three things I want to go with this and this is how we're going. So exactly. from an outsider's perspective, you made a little bit of progress, but 
your mind mentally you're going farther ahead than what's already been established on the page yes and it's important to me that reading the script is a good experience because sometimes even if it translates well on screen scripts can be badly written um so i do tend to do draft more drafts on like action descriptions than on the dialogue because I want it to be a good reading experience as well as a viewing experience once it's made. I think I've seen enough movies that you can see this is a really good script. Yes. But it didn't really translate very well onto film. But this script is really fascinating to me. But there's just something that takes out of it. Or you can watch something like this script is very... But the movie is... (laughs) Very true. Yes. I, I, so with directing, do you do also do like shot list and roll call? Like yes. All the paperwork? Yes. Yes. Um, I do like to do shot lists. I, that is one reason I like directing films that I write is that I write kind of with an image in mind. So I know yeah. what I want it to look like and I am able to direct it myself and I can fully make it what I had in mind as I was writing. Yeah. So I do do very um, detailed shot lists. And then once I do that, I'll go over with the cinematographer and get their opinion on the shot lists. And sometimes they'll like add or take away shots on set when I see the angle or see the shot. And I'm like, you know what? This maybe isn't what I was imagining. Let's, let's change it a little. I always say if we're going to do multiple takes, if we have time to do, five or six or seven, eight, nine takes. We're not going to do the same thing over again. Have a little bit something different. Yes. I think even the editor would appreciate that. Have a little bit of, Mm -hmm. if we're going to do something, you know, multiple takes, I'm not going to do the same thing over and over again. Let's have Mm -hmm. something a little bit of flavor, something a little bit interesting, something challenge yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. or have a little fun with it. You know, know, multiple takes, that's the way we do that. Have something always a little bit different. We're not going to do the same thing over again or we're just, yeah, repeating ourselves. Yes. Um, I know I did storyboards for you with your film. Yes. Uh, is that helpful for you for storyboards? Or are you? That was actually the first time I've used storyboards. Yeah. And the reason for that is, like I said, Saccharin was for an application, so I needed storyboards for that. Sure. Um, usually I don't do storyboards. I just have like very detailed visual um, images of what I want it to look like. Yeah. And so you write it very visually on your script. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And be, like I said, because I write it and direct it, I don't necessarily have to worry about translating it to other people the way that you would with a storyboard. I always say when I, especially when I talked, corresponded with you about storyboards, storyboards are a good idea of maybe what you want to do or maybe, no, I don't want to do that. Exactly. So yes. you have like, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can present to people like, I don't want to do this. Let's find something else we want to do with that. So um, I think it's a useful tool. I know some people don't like to do it, but I, I use it with my films. I'm a very art visual person, very super visual person. But also if I present something like, okay, well, no. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of moving shots, and I don't like to use a lot of static takes. So storyboards don't translate super well sometimes yeah. because it's a static image. And so... I think that's one reason I don't use storyboards as often yeah. is because I like to keep the camera moving or keep people moving and just not be like standing and talking. Yeah. When I think that's um, the nice thing about the comic book world that doesn't translate very well 
to movies is you could have one panel where it's from an ant's point of view, mm-hmm. the same thing that's going on, and then you can flip it instantaneous from a bird's eye point of view. True. Which is something you can't do with cameras or film because it's it's moving. It's a constant motion. Exactly. Even if It'd be it's, really jarring. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot of things that you can do in a comic book world. You could blow up a set if you want. Mm-hmm. You can't do this. <laughs> but, yeah, I think storyboards are not necessarily a necessity. But if it's a nice way of presenting people, especially working in a visual media, of I like it this way, maybe we can do it this way or other way, or I like a little bit of this, or I don't like this at all, let's find something new about it. And that's a start rather than sit and explain it very well, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, do, are you interested in doing a full feature? Yes, I actually have done one feature. Um, I made the very rookie mistake. My first film was a feature. Okay. And then I was I was young when I did it, and I decided to step back and do shorts for a while. I also definitely don't have the resources right now to do another feature, but yeah, the script that I'm working on now is a feature script because I think I've worn out my welcome in short and <laughs> I, I am getting burned out on short films and want to do at least one feature I might do shorts after that shorts are very intense right yes and especially when you make it it's very intense you're under time restraint budget restraints 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 and it's very yes. high in anxiety and yeah um and I think people tend to think that shorts are easier in short stories because it's like not as long, but I've found that it's definitely a lot harder to have a short story. I think, you know, that saying that's like, uh, short story writers are failed poets and novel writers are failed short story writers. <laughs> so I think that's very true. Well, I come from the same kind of background. My first comic book is a 300 page comic book. And you're wow. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to. Why don't you just do a 20-page and just get your foot out the, in there just a little bit? Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that. If you want to start, start big. Go out mm-hmm. there with a big announcement. I like that. Just start big and then figure out what you did wrong and go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, my first comic book is a 300-page comic book that took 10 years to do. Wow. And that's you're not supposed to. They'll tell you, why don't you start small and work way out? But for a writer perspective, it was a story that had to get out. True. And I think everybody who's a writer understands that that's something that just, it's not going to go away. I had to get it out there. Yes, yes. <laughs> I definitely have one of those stories that is on the back burner because I don't want to make it until I have the resources to make it as well as I can. And so, yeah, like you said, there's definitely those stories sometimes that you're like, I, I have to do this. Maybe yeah. not right this second, but at some point. And my story started out with a scene. I just, because I like comic books and I didn't see a lot of detective murder mystery comic books out there. I do. I'm surrounded by superhero comic books and everything. But I feel like I love those noir, comp, you know, murder mysteries. I don't want, I don't, I don't see it. And somebody else, why don't you do it? True. You yes. can draw. And I just, writing. But it all started with the scene of a just protagonist and antagonist fighting in a mansion and one goes flying out the window. And that started it. And nice. it blossom into this 300-page story with multiple subplots and everything. And um, very much like The Big Sleep where it doesn't really understand. And, you know, murder mysteries, if you've, you've 
if you uncoil the thread, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but you enjoy it. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I've watched The Thin Man so many times, and I don't care who the bad guy is. I just enjoy Nick and Nora Charles figuring it out yes. in their adventure. And I, I've watched it many times, and I still don't know who the bad guy is. I know they catch him at the <laughs> end. I know who it is. I just, I don't care. Yes, there are definitely movies that I watch that I can recognize are not the best movies or badly written, but I think acting for me is one of the most important things. Yeah. And so I'll watch it because I'm like, yeah, the acting's really good and I like really appreciate what the actors have done in the roles, but I can recognize there's like some big plot holes and yeah. some things maybe aren't explained very well or don't make sense, but I still enjoy watching the movie. But if it's edited very well, then you well, that's a major plot hole, and then you can carry it on. And I always tell people when they critique things, um, ignore the plot holes. Everyone has it. Yes. Even your favorite movie has a gigantic plot hole into it. Yes. Um, and that should not be the basis of a criticism. Um, you can find some other things, because every, every story has a magnificent, huge plot hole in it. Very true. Even the ones I write. So if that is the, the whole basis of your criticism, why you don't like something, find something else. Yes, exactly. And like, don't think the writer doesn't recognize that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you definitely do recognize when there's plot holes. And at some point, you have to be like, I I can't fill every plot hole and kind of choose which one you are okay leaving in the story. Yeah, yeah. And I, I try to avoid catchphrases. I know that's very easy. Yes. And it's and some people enjoy them, but I try to avoid a catchphrase. In fact, I use a catchphrase in my book just to criticize catchphrase catchphrases. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I think I really like Jordan Peele's movie Us, and it's so well made, and the acting is so good. But it has gaping plot holes, yeah. which you kind of have to just ignore them and enjoy the movie. But it has one of my best things. It has a huge contrast. Exactly. A lot of contrast to it between good and bad, between dark and light. Yes. Um, between let's take even how who gets murdered. Let's take that and flip it on its head. So it's this constant flipping the entire time of you figured it out. No, you haven't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, performances are important to me. So Lupita's performance in that was just fantastic. And yeah. I don't know if I'd like it as much had someone else done it because her performance specifically right. was such a big part of it. Yeah, it's, she's going to be very much identified with that movie from now on. Exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think, yeah, and it's hard to, because they have a gimmick in that movie, which is a murder weapon, which is our whole movie, movies have some kind of a gimmick of mm-hmm. scissors. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, how does scissors going to be played a part of this? And it doesn't really emphasize it, mm-hmm. but it plays how metaphorically we're just going to cut up what... Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't want to give too much true. away, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you always worried about props when you write? Introduction? When like, I write? Yeah. Um, I do. Because, you know, uh, Saccharin has a major prop. Yes. Cupcakes or whatever. Yes. Um, like I said, it's a little different writing when I know that I'm going to be directing it because I always try to write within my means and I try not to write things that I know are going to be impossible for me to film um which I know is something that a lot of people struggle with and I have friends who write really big scripts and trying to get those made sometimes can be really difficult so I do try to keep everything realistic and I look at things that I have access to and what I know I can use and write around those 
And so I would say props are important. I think I always have some type of token prop in each film that is not necessarily like the main plot point, but is usually uh, either emblematic in the film or important somehow. When you're doing the whole writing thing, do you kind of turn off the world? I mean, you don't watch other movies. I mean, Stephen King's kind of like that. If you're going to write, don't watch anybody else's stuff because it's going to bleed into your materials. But um, you kind of like that process or this doesn't... No, I don't think so. Um, I do sometimes... I won't do things in the same genre that I'm writing or I'll avoid stories that are similar because, again, I don't want to like accidentally plagiarize from someone. But I I don't think I tend to really like completely avoid any other thing while I'm writing. I know a lot of them, the stuff that I consumed will bleed into what I've, you know, because of murder mysteries. I've watched hundreds and thousands of murder mysteries that eventually mm-hmm. something that I've seen before will translate. And That's the yeah. thing. There's only so many stories, and it's very much how you do that story. Because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, like, you will have crossovers with different things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I think Game of Thrones was so successful, because it wasn't what we traditionally see in, like, the fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. which is the mysticism is played out in front, which he put the mysticism and all the dragons and everything in the background. True. And presented a kind of a reality take of kind of almost a gritty sense of reality and a murder mystery to start with it. Yes. And that's what catapulted. That's why it was became so popular because we're so used to wizards and everything come in the forefront and he put that in the background and then kind of took a, a sword and sandal kind of a fantasy and, Made it a little more dramatic, a little more, you know, character driven. Yes, that was really refreshing. Yeah, because I said if if you didn't have Tywin or Tyrion or anything, that story would fall apart because then you would just have heroes the whole time. Yes. You needed something a little more of a mentality, a little more smarter to navigate. Yes, definitely. Uh, Do you have a particular, when you read, um, do you read like... Yes. Psychological thrillers or? I, like I said, I like Stephen King a lot, so I have read most of his work. And then I tend to be a realistic fiction person. I do like some historical fiction, but I really enjoy kind of everyday stories um, and just very character-driven stories more than plot-driven ones. Characters, good characters can make up for a bad story. Exactly. Right. I think even a good story, if you don't have any interesting characters, could go away the wayside. Yes, a lot of a lot of books and movies have so much potential in their story, but when the characters are really flat, it it just doesn't translate well. Yes, I agree. Uh, well, that's it. This is the end of the show. <laughs> Great. Thanks for coming, Alicia. Yes, thank you for having me. Um. Uh, so the movies, uh, it, how were you able to, so they're, you're still in editing and process, so how would uh, any of the listeners look, how would they eventually see them, in a couple of years, or how would they? They should both be coming out this winter at some point. Okay, winter. And they'll be available online. And available online so everybody can see them. Yes. Well, you have to definitely come back and talk about it, right? Yes. We could play a chess and then talk about writing. I love it. <laughs> well, as you know, 
Uh, it's not over till the guests say it's over. It's over? There we go.